Welcome to the Joanne Aberson podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you listening with me. We've had a break between seasons of the podcast, and it's due to start again with some gorgeous new interviews and lots of exciting information in the new year of 2024. But what I'm giving you today is a special bonus, a sort of gift episode, because it's the festive season and because I wanted to say thank you for all the lovely messages that so many of you have sent me. So I'm really fascinated by a particular paper that's been written by two of my very dear colleagues, John Sharkey and Mark Flanagan. This research paper is a gold standard peer-reviewed piece that is really a discussion paper, and I cannot recommend highly enough that you read it. Now, John Sharkey is a clinical anatomist, and he's a recognised leading pioneer in fascist science. And he brings 42 years of experience in manual therapy, as well as being an exercise physiologist. And he's now written more than 30 papers that have been published to date. And what he does for us in this discussion paper is create a really powerful bridge between the science and the practice and the useful way that we can describe and talk about fascia through understanding its history, its mystery, and through having the courage to raise some really poignant questions. The truth is for all of us out there working in manual or movement practices, the definition of fascia eludes us all because there's such discussion even at the highest levels of scientific nomenclature as to what it really is and what it isn't. And this paper provides a very profound basis for all of us to continue working together, and it's based on the interdisciplinary names and ways of describing this fascinating connective tissue of the human body. Now, the other author on the paper is Mark Flanagan, and Mark is a neuromuscular therapist and also has been a movement and dance teacher for decades. And Mark's experience is profound in that he focuses so clearly on making sure that within whichever modality we're working, we recognise and honour our individual constraints. Because it's so easy for us to go out there and we have a goal in yoga, say, of being able to achieve great length or twists or whatever, or in the numbers of things that we might do in a Pilates session, you know, the famous 100s, or if we're personal training, what weight can we lift or how many repetitions are we doing? And all of these measures or metrics can become based in the modality that we're focused on. And Mark's key speciality, if you will, is recognising our own fascial restrictions and understanding fundamentally how we can prevent injury by working within our own parameters. And he does that from personal experience and from his many, many years of understanding choreographed movement, as well as being a neuromuscular therapist. So between the two of them, John Sharkey and Mark Flanagan have really given us a powerful piece of information that allows us as practitioners to talk to each other, to know what we mean. And it really does provide a useful bridge, no matter what discipline you are studying the human body in. It really is a gift. And I wanted to make sure 
that you all had this gift for Christmas. So why have I chosen to go through this in a podcast, for heaven's sake? Well, I think this paper's fabulous and I want to invite you as a kind of translator, friend, someone who is passionate about the work these people are doing in the world, the difference they're making to all of us. And I just wanted to say thank you to everybody that listens to my podcast and that I get to talk to and work with by giving you this background. Um, I won't say story. It's not a story. It's a discussion. But I am going to storify it a little bit. I'm going to translate it. And my hope is that you're going to be able to sit back and listen and enjoy talking about it. Now, if you listen to this once and then get the paper and read it, it will give you a real juicy resource to understand the confusions around fascia, the history behind fascia, the story of what its definitions are and what they're not. And it might even give you ideas and insight into what you've discovered for yourself. But this allows us all to kind of lean into the science behind it without necessarily spending the hours and the weeks and the days that John and Mark have spent gathering different papers, reading everything, and their combined experience of decades of understanding this tissue. So I invite you in to a story of a piece of research that is invaluable. And I really hope that you download it. There'll be a link in the show notes and read it for yourself. And if nothing else, I pray that this conversation invites, inspires and motivates you to read it fearlessly. Because if you're anything like me, I look at a piece of research, I think, oh, this is going to take me at least three hours to unravel. And I hope that we, by unraveling it first, give it to you as an opportunity to back up your understanding and help you raise the right questions. So here goes. Don't be put off by the title. Towards a paramedical interdisciplinary definition of fascia supporting practitioners offering fascia-focused therapies. Part one. So if you're doing anything that's fascia-focused, and really any therapy has to be in many ways, and also any movement modality, this is moving us towards a paramedical, meaning towards a medical and soundly researched scientific foundation of an interdisciplinary definition of fascia. So that means something that crosses disciplines and allows all of us to be able to have a conversation. It's kind of an equaliser or a balancing because truthfully, a surgeon needs to understand fascia in a very different way to a yoga teacher or a Pilates teacher or a manual therapist. We all need kind of different definitions. But what we're looking for here is an interdisciplinary definition of fascia that supports all of us. Anyone offering fascia-focused therapies, you really need to read this paper. And if you don't want to hear the story behind it, please skip to the show notes and read it for yourself. I'm going to go through this, holding your hand, talking to you, giving you my ideas and sharing this very powerful piece of work. So sit back and enjoy. To start with, I'm going to read you certain paragraphs from the abstract because they're so clear and so digestible. Defining fascia in a manner that serves the needs of diverse allied professionals 
has proved elusive, leading to a cursory, incomplete view of the tissue. The continuity of fascia is its defining characteristic, but not its sole feature. Rather than a definition that describes a passive, dissectable tissue, an expanded meaning informed by several years of dissections of teal-embalmed and fresh-from-frozen cadavers and up-to-date fascia-focused research is encouraged. This paper is not an attempt to define fascia exclusively. Still, it is instead a proposal aimed at the Federative International Programme for Anatomical Terminology to consider developing a new definition of fascia that emphasises its pretensioned, highly sensory, omnipresent, active and functional role in the body. That is a very important paragraph in the world of science, movement therapy and manual therapy. Why? Because what's been said here is that there are so many different types of professions and different allied professionals seeking to explain something that has all different levels of definition within it and that leaves us all wanting to hold up a banner of this is it, this is what it is. And the this that we're pointing to is proving elusive because depending on the bias of the profession, it sometimes requires different definitions. But what that means is the context of how we understand fascia is changing with the research. So in all honesty, there are different definitions. But what John and Mark have sought to do with this paper is give us the reasons of why there needs to be different definitions, but also one that makes some sense for all of us. This is a very profound piece of work. It comes out of many, many years of practice and working in the laboratory with dissections of teal embalmed and fresh from frozen cadavers. Now, what does that mean? For those of you that haven't experienced it, anatomy is usually most commonly studied working on a certain form of embalming, which means the cadaveric specimen, i.e. the body that's donated to science, is stiff, rigid, and in a state of rigor mortis. In other words, the tissue is set. And on that basis, it can be cut in certain ways and conclusions can be drawn about how it's divided up into its component parts to be studied that are based on the embalming method rather than based on how those tissues behave in the living body. And this is a foundational and very important distinction. Teal embalmed tissue is a very specialised form of embalming that allows the body and the tissues to behave much more like an anaesthetised living body. And fresh from frozen means that as the body literally defrosts, the anatomists have a limited period of time in which to work on that body because it begins to become unworkable because it deteriorates over time and it's only a matter of days if that. So these are different methods that reveal different things, all equally valuable in their own way. But We have to be very careful about drawing conclusions from one type of embalming method about how the living body moves. And these are the questions that John has become so adept at asking 
over his many years in the laboratory. So I want you to understand that where this original question comes from and where this proposal is aimed at the key field, the body, the Federative International Programme for Anatomical Terminology, is to ask them to develop a new definition. And we're going to understand the many reasons why this is so important. But the key words in this first paragraph, it's pretensioned, highly sensory, omnipresent, active, and functional role in the body. In other words, the tissue of the living body is always under tension, and the references are there, and we know this from work of various protagonists like Jörg van der Waal, for example, one of many. Highly sensory, again, Jörg's beautiful work on the tissue-sparing dissection of the human elbow that he did back in 1985 in his PhD paper. Omnipresent, everywhere. Active, it's an active architecture. It's not just the tissue that happens to wrap the muscles or happens to wrap the organs. It's active and it has functional role in the body. I could do a podcast on that first paragraph alone, as you can hear, but let's keep going because here John and Mark talk to us about a little more detail what the fascia is. Fascia is a continuous, penetrating, interconnected web that orchestrates and fine-tunes the body's structure and functions. That is great big huge. That shifts everything we know about human anatomy because it tells us that all those parts that we've studied and all those separate items that we know so much about in science are all joined up in a continuous, penetrating, interconnected web that orchestrates and fine-tunes the body's structure and functions. That means not only is our architecture made of this material, but it's alive and it's vibrant and it manages the functions of that architecture. Just feel and absorb that for a minute. Any tensional change, I'm quoting the paper, in one location can affect the fascial network via mechanotransductive processes. What does that mean? Well, mechanotransduction is the word given to the transmission or communication of forces through the system. Now, on a personal note, I wish they were called sensory transductors because personally, I don't believe there's anything mechanical about the living human body. I believe it's the wrong metaphor. And as such, while I explain it in all my work, we are left with a mechanical metaphor for emotional form. So I personally prefer the word bioemotional to biomechanical. However, we have inherited biomechanical as the foundation of classical anatomy and physiology and biomechanics. Need I say more? And on that basis, mechanotransductor is the word used for the tiny aspects of the tissue that transmit forces, i.e. movement forces, mechanotransduction through it. So, of course, John honours and is obliged to use the terminology 
that is existing that has us all understand immediately what we mean. So in this, on that basis, he's referred to the fascial network and how it functions through mechanotransductive processes, because there's all sorts of different ways that this structure communicates and transmits forces through us. The force of gravity, the forces of motion, we could name all those forces separately, but the truth is you and I and all the people we work with move as a sign of life. And technically those are referred to as mechanotransductive processes. I'll repeat that to give you context. Any intentional change in one location can affect the fascial network via mechanotransductive processes. In addition, fascial tissues are richly innovated with sensory nerves that can stimulate the production of various neuropeptides and neurotransmitters that influence emotions, stress response, and pain perception. Drop the mic. I'm going to read that again, it's so important. In addition, fascial tissues are richly innovated with sensory nerves that can stimulate the production of various neuropeptides and neurotransmitters that influence emotions, stress response and pain perception. What that means is that suddenly we have a way of understanding why the architecture of our tissue manages both our function, our response to that function, and our perception and emotional awareness of those responses. Just have a think about that. We go on. Our proposal is offered to provide a satisfactory interdisciplinary account and explanation concerning fascia specifically for fascia-focused therapists. A more nuanced description would be required for medical professionals, including surgeons and specialists involved in providing neural blocks. The authors will provide this description in our second paper. A two-part holistic description of fascia supports communication among manual and movement practitioners and medical specialists. So what that tells us is, very simply, John and Mark are going to write another paper, part two, in which the key information for surgeons is required because they have to have a much more nuanced and specific account to allow for the work they do in surgery. We don't need that as movement and manual therapists. What we need is a general understanding that makes sense of the work we're doing so we can consider how we move with people, how we direct their movement, how we work on them manually, and the questions that we ask in order to take the best care possible within our individual scope of practice. I continue. In recent years, there has been an increased focus on the intricate role of fascia within the human body and its potential significance in various therapeutic modalities. Paramedical therapists who work closely with individuals seeking rehabilitation and relief from so-called musculoskeletal issues are vested in understanding the complexities of fascia. However, the current widely accepted definition of fascia must fully capture its multifaceted nature 
and therapeutic implications. This article proposes a revised description of fascia tailored specifically for paramedical therapists aiming to encompass the comprehensive functions of fascia and provide a more nuanced understanding of its relevance in clinical practice. So really what that's saying to us is that the increased focus on how intricate the role of fascia is within the human body has greater significance than we previously thought. Now, I get to meet a lot of people in my work, a lot of people who've read my work or I've worked with in workshops or I've taught around the world or been in conferences with. I get a lot of feedback. And especially people who are new to understanding fascia, it is so revelatory. Sometimes they think they've invented it or they've come up with something new because no one's thought of it before because they're so blown away by the impact of it. Let's be clear. Understanding fascia isn't new by any means. It's been in the human body since the human body and many other forms existed. It is our connective tissue matrix. However, its significance, its impact, the various ways in which it contextualizes all the anatomical content that we've learned about, even with the newest measuring devices that we now have in modern technology in the modern era, It's the significance that's changed rather than the fact of it. So understanding the content and the context is the key to understanding this article and the reason why it's so important. So we're not making anybody wrong here for not realising the significance. What I'm suggesting is that it resonates with all of us because anybody who teaches movement, anybody who teaches manual therapy, has this kind of sixth sense of this organ, this awareness, this communication at a subtle and metaphysical level. And yet you can't explain it. But when you get explanations like the one John is offering us here and Mark is describing in this beautiful paper, we start to go, oh God, I got it. We just have to be careful that we don't run away with the idea that we invented it. It's a bit like saying Sir Isaac Newton invented gravity. He did not. Gravity was already there. He discovered it. He helped us distinguish it. And this is a really important distinction for understanding what's going on here and in the huge body of work out there on fascia by many protagonists that I won't get to mention. But I just want to give you a context for understanding this extraordinary tissue. Traditionally, It's taught in a very certain way in medical school based on historical classical anatomy. And what John and Mark are doing with this paper is inviting us and at the highest levels of anatomical nomenclature to reconsider the definitions so that we can all use those that make more sense to us and also honour and revere the specialisation that we don't need. And that way, we're all working within our own scope of practice, but understanding the global impact of this local network. So read this paper, whatever you do. So to continue the abstract, which is nearly complete, the sixth International Fascia Research Congress called the IFRC, organised by the Fascia Research Society, occurred in Montreal, Canada in September 2022. The IFRC seeks to share fascia research to inform better and unite medical, 
paramedical and non-medical specialists. The ongoing and increasing success of the IFRC reflects continuous growth in interest in the broad range of topics based on fascia science. This interest is not limited to medical experts, but also involves a vast, disparate group, including movement and manual therapists, bioscientists, veterinarians, and other paramedical specialists, and therein lies the problem. With interest among practitioners offering fascia-focused therapies, including myofascial release, European neuromuscular therapy, fascia-integrated technique, osteopathy and myofascial induction, a definition of fascia is needed that is specific to the requirements of all paramedical practitioners. A revised and expanded definition of fascia would give paramedical therapists a more holistic understanding of its properties and functions, enabling them to provide more targeted and effective treatments. So that's the abstract, translated and completely, I hope, expressed to you in a way that leaves you rushing to read the full paper. I'm going to do a quick pre of what's in it, and I hope, if nothing else, it inspires you to get yourself a cup of your favourite drink, curl up with this paper when you have nothing to distract you for an hour or two, and simply read it through and then read it again and go into all the references. It's highly referenced and it really does provide a magnificent segue into why whatever kind of movement you teach, whatever kind of therapy you rely on for your practice to assist your clients, we kind of don't stand a chance in explaining it to people that don't get it, because what we're up against is a history that hasn't currently provided us with a modern definition that really helps us all to move forward. So I'm going to read a few bits out of the whole paper and I'm just going to point you to them because I'm not going to translate all of it. We'll be here for hours. So introduction. Fascia is commonly described as a connective tissue matrix that surrounds and supports the body's muscles, organs and other structures. However, this traditional definition overlooks the intricate web-like nature of fascia, which extends beyond mere physical containment. Research has increasingly revealed the role of fascia as a dynamic and interconnected system affecting movement, proprioception, interoception, pain perception and myofascial pain. Paramedical therapists, including massage therapists, osteopaths and movement and neuromuscular therapists, must recognise the crucial role of fascia in their practice. Now, of course, it's not limited to those named modalities. This is actually true of all movement and manual therapies. But let's continue with the paper, and I am not mentioning the references. This is all referenced. However, the current definition fails to convey the complex interactions and continuity of fascia, muscles and other physiological systems, thus limiting their understanding. According to Neumann et al., changes to international standard anatomical terminology are necessary. Two, and this is quoting Neumann et al., correct errors in existing terms, 
Names should not be changed unless they're wrong. Corrections of perceived errors should not be pedantic. And inclusion of every minor structure should not be attempted. So what this paper goes on to explain is all the existing terminology for the word fascia itself. And John explains the etymology, in other words, the history of this word and goes back in time to make sense of why the term fascia, which basically translates to tie, to bind, or it means a bandage, it doesn't set the meaning across various scientific and clinical paramedical disciplines. So numerous authorities agree that a scientifically precise definition is lacking. So this call to name fascia, they refer to as neither trivial nor pedantic because it's been the focus of so much research and interest in recent years and a growing range of practitioners offering fascia-focused therapies. And there's a list of them. Despite this growing interest, we still don't have a more inclusive definition. John talks about the origin of the word fascia and he really invites us to find where it comes from, why it might be difficult to get our heads around, and what it is and what it isn't. And I really urge you to read that part of the paper and the images that are supplied with it. Now, John and Mark go on to say, it has been proposed that while avoiding synonyms and eponyms, a proposal to identify location-specific fascia by using modifiers such as osseofascial, meaning bone or bone fascia, because bone is an expression of fascia, neurofascial, nerve is made of fascia, or hemofascial, blood is a form of connective tissue, could resolve the problem of developing an appropriate definition. So in other words, if we gave the fascia location-specific names, we could distinguish which fascia we were talking about. And historically, we're invited to consider through John's history in the anatomy lab and teaching doctors and surgeons specialities. He writes, local fascia, each local fascia was named after the anatomist who provided the first accurate anatomical description. So let's have one or two examples. Antonio Scarpa, an Italian anatomist who's fully referenced, or Collis fascia, named after an Irish surgeon, Abraham Colley from Dublin, Campus fascia after Petrus Camper, a Dutch physician and anatomist, and so on. Most literary anatomical textbooks from the 15th century to the modern era are littered with artistically embellished, antiseptic, isolated body parts void of their fascia. Now, good reasons existed for the focus on isolated parts, because back in the day, it was essential for anatomists and artists to reveal the body with integrity. And in order to do that, they didn't want people like Leonardo da Vinci, who's one of my heroes, for example, didn't want his students to just paint the flesh without an understanding of what was underneath it. So it was considered part of their creative duty, as it was for anatomists, early anatomists at work to be um, illustrated with complete integrity. In order to do that, they broke it down into its component parts to study it. And of course, early doctors and medical professionals did exactly the same. 
in order to honour each one of the parts. And John explains this in the context that, nevertheless, body parts need the neural and vascular-rich fascia body to survive. Although modern techniques can prolong the survival of the body, such as cryopreservation, without the possibility of unification within the body, no part can exist. And they quote my favourite da Vinci, you will become acquainted with every part and every whole by means of a demonstration of each part. So they focused on the demonstration of each part. And perhaps one of the things that we've done historically is we've, we've forgotten that each one of those parts is part of a whole. So the next paragraph in this brilliant piece of work, in the modern era, anatomists are more informed regarding the unified nature of this omnipresent connective tissue, sculpted and morphed from the embryonic origami, the mesenchyme. Now, this is such an important sentence in this paper, because coming straight after Leonardo da Vinci's quote, you will become acquainted with every part and every whole by means of a demonstration of each part. Leonardo understood geometry, which is actually the key to understanding nature and foundational to understanding fascia and architecture and living architecture of all things. And we are technically or not technically non-linear biologic forms. And we've always had a linear basis upon which to try and understand the living body, which is bonkers because it's not linear. So in that sense, we are being invited here by these authors to recognise that every part and whole reflect each other, the microcosm and the macrocosm. That's how nature works. We have an inner cosmos, every cell, an outer cosmos, the world. And what we're coming to here is the recognition that fascia actually reflects that commonality, sometimes even referred to with words like biomimicry. We are all biomimics of the original geometry. And Leonardo da Vinci, just through the deeper meanings behind his drawing Vitruvian Man, somehow not only understood that on a physical and a metaphysical basis, he was able to explain it as the foundation of the proportions of the human body. There is so much more to Vitruvian Man than meets the eye. We're not going there here. What we're looking at is the idea that the part and the whole are, if you like, so completely interrelated, they're self-reflective. So we're talking about the organelle to the cell, the cell to the organ, the organ to the organism. And that organism, every single one of us, you, me, all of us, self-organized as embryos. And we did that through the expression, physical and metaphysical, of our fascial architecture, our embryonic origami. So all of those construction principles, which John and Mark go on to refer to, are based in tensegrity. So let's read the last part of this paragraph. Tensegrity construction principles provide a unified systems conception of living form and function from micro to macro. And it's referenced. 
The tensegrity model offers a novel substitute for the established biomechanical view of one muscle having one action with an origin and an insertion. I'm not quoting you quite exactly here, but I'll read it exactly. I just want you to get the context that we've grown up with this biomechanical view that each muscle has an action, a nerve and an origin and an insertion. And that's a very limited view. So let me quote you from the paper. The tensegrity model offers a novel substitute for the established biomechanical view of one muscle, one action, origins and insertions. While combining fascia science with tensegrity research has been referred to as fascia tegrity. Fascia tegrity provides a new image of living constructs as self-developed, self-constructed, self-emerging, self-stressed, unified systems within systems. So what that means is every part is whole and complete within the wholeness, which is in and of itself a part within the wholeness. And this is something Ken Wilber refers to as holarchy. So I'm just dropping that in, that we are not just hierarchical. We are not just heterarchical. We are always holarchical. So have a think about this as a reflection of the cosmos, that everything is a network within a network within a network within a network. It's fascinating. But always it refers to the fact that we're self-organizing. And I quote, The fascia integrity model encourages a move away from a musculoskeletal system with muscles described as being attached to bone and moves us towards a unified system, continuous soft matter construct that naturally expresses nonlinear behavior where disruption to one location can impact locally and globally. This is so important. You know, you know, when you get a paper cut and it's the silliest little cut on one finger that's got like, God knows how small a percentage of the whole body, that the whole of you is irritated, you're cross with yourself for doing it. The classic is, oh, mm, and you, you, put that finger in your mouth to suck on it to stop the blood and the stupid and how many times have I seen or heard or done it myself or seen someone else go oh god I'm so stupid why did I do that that was such a stupid thing to do and you start beating yourself up and emotionally there's an emotional component to that so the proportion of this tiny tiny gut and let me tell you if you were doing something with a much higher purpose you'd go oh mm, and you'd dismiss it because you've got to get on with the other thing and some of us do that with even bigger insults to the system. But have a think about it. Have a think about how something huge some people manage to overcome, but it changes them as people. And an insult to the body that's really minor affects all of it. So even after you've been to your doctor and they said, oh, it's nothing, it's just a whatever, and you go, oh, you, you kind of have to navigate how big an emotional impact that can have. So what that's leaving us with is this recognition that we have a unified system. And let's quote again, it's continuous. It's a soft matter construct that naturally expresses nonlinear behavior. 
where disruption to one location can impact globally and locally. Such beautiful writing. It's so well put together. And so what our brilliant authors continue to say and confirm is that fascia is a complex and dynamic contractile tissue playing a crucial role in posture, pain perception and motion. However, a more detailed understanding of fascia is needed to support the development of effective fascia-focused therapies. And that brilliant statement is referenced and then what follows for consideration is the proposal of not so much a definition different paramedical interdisciplinary descriptions of fascia, in other words, a short and a long version. Now, I'm going to leave you on that cliffhanger because this proposal is brilliant, in my opinion, and I think you will enjoy reading the paper and having both the short and the extended version of John and Mark's proposal. What I will say is it isn't limited to talking about the body in all its different forms or the living architecture in all its different forms. It includes, but is in no way limited to, the depth of understanding we're invited into of the biochemical differences that literally modulate some of our functions. And they refer to intercellular communication and how that affects emotion, immunity, inflammation, and all sorts of self-regulatory factors. In other words, this is crucial reading if you are a manual or a movement therapist or practitioner helping people move better and seeking to understand with more confidence and distinction why what you do works and why it's so important to work within your scope of practice to support people in helping them move better. And I really invite you to understand and appreciate this paper, and it's written in a very accessible way, and I really hope that by sharing it with you, with all my love and enthusiasm for John and Mark's work, but also my deep appreciation as a movement and manual therapist myself of how much more confidence I have in my work for understanding why it makes the difference it does and when it's the right time to refer and why people begin to have more confidence in their own movement when we have more confidence in the difference our therapies make. John, Mark, thank you. Thank you for writing this paper. Thank you for the hours of work that you put into it. And my prayer, as yours, I suspect, is that it makes the difference that it can in the world. And I'm going to finish up with the last few lines of the conclusion and invite you to look at the paper because the images are so informative. And I quote, The science of human anatomy is fluidic and constantly changing. As we learn to appreciate better this ubiquitous tissue we call fascia. The call for recognising the continuity of fascia is not new, as evidenced by the writings of Dr. John D. Godman, MD, published in 1923. It is well recognised and accepted 
that anatomists and scientists have made efforts over many years to refine anatomical knowledge, including accurately defining specific anatomical terms and structures. It is our responsibility to continue to do so. The proposed descriptions in this short paper, supported by the new functional classification of fascia, provide a platform for interdisciplinary communication. Fascia is a seamless process giving continuity to the body, from the superficial to the deepest organs, in a continuous network of tensional and compressional forces, called mechanotransduction. This means that a dysfunction in one part of the fascial system can affect distant regions or disrupt the whole body balance, resulting in pain some distance from the true source of the insult. This proposal highlights the importance of fascia in homeostasis and providing sensory feedback and interoception, an essential aspect of fascia-focused therapies. Amen. I send this to you as a gift, because I think it is a gift. The fact that we all have free access to it is a gift. There are over 30 references in this paper, not too much to give you time to read them and look them up. And I just really encourage you to enjoy it and thank heaven for the authority that's behind it. And thank you, John and Mark, once again for your hard work and diligence in serving all of us with this brilliant information. God bless. Take care. Stay safe. And don't forget to go to the show notes to get the link to the paper. And if you want more information on this and more fascia-focused therapy ways of bringing this magical work into your own work, then please join our collective on joannaverson.com or go to myofascialmagic.com. There's a free webinar on there that is kind of based in this work as well. So there's an invitation, there's lots of resources, and they're all focused on making every one of us better at what we do and helping our clients move better. Because I haven't met a movement or manual practitioner yet that isn't actually devoted to making a difference to those they work with.